This is the Todd Capital Millionaire Podcast, episode 21. My name is Todd Millionaire, also known as Charles Ogilvie. I'm the founder and the director of the Todd Capital Investment Club, Todd Ventures, and Todd Acquisitions, which is our real estate crowdfunding um, club as well. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. The purpose of this podcast is to share the stories of successful African-American investors and business owners so that people can see that business and investing are the true keys to financial success and generational wealth. Tonight we have a special guest. It's somebody that I've known for some time. Um, uh, for the most part, it's actually been through the fraternity, but also it's been through social media. Um, and I mean, this guy has been on the super grind. He graduated college, I think, at the age of 20. He's doing some great things right now um, as he's studying for the bar and also getting his MBA. So he'll definitely be able to share with you more of his background and everything that he's accomplishing right now. So with that, I want to welcome Akai to the podcast. How's it going, man? Going great, brother. What about yourself? I'm good, man. I'm good. It's always cool. It's funny. I was talking to um, my mom, and I was telling her, like, man, I know this guy who he said he, he wants to get involved with the club, he wants to get involved with the company, and he's doing some great things. He's a JD MBA, and it's like I'm going for my MBA now. So it's like as we all level up, we can all take each other forward. So very cool happy to have you on the podcast happy to kind of learn more about what you're doing so i mean even just in the intro conversation you told me some stuff i didn't know so go ahead and enlighten the guests and enlighten me can you kind of introduce yourself absolutely well thanks man for having me on on the podcast uh so yes my name is kai montgomery and uh like my brother charles said i a have my JD, and I'm also finishing up my MBA. My concentration is in finance. I actually graduated college at the age of 19 and got my degree in mechanical engineering. So, so I worked for five years for the U.S. They decided to go back to law school and decided that I was too bored in law school and wanted to be a blood punishment and got my started getting my MBA after my first year. So... My focus has always been in being multidisciplinary and interdisciplinary and trying to figure out how everything connects with each other. How does engineering connect with law? And how does law connect with business? How does business connect with engineering? It's all those three different aspects. And I never expected it or never thought that it would bring me to real estate. The way that I actually got into real estate was watching my parents, being that they uh, have been real estate investors for the last 40 years. And so watching their model of real estate investment, that was something that was always instilled in me. And trying to follow their their model, follow their lead. Only problem was, is in my early 20s, I wasn't, I wasn't looking, I wasn't taking what they said to heart and acting on it. It was a lot of fear in it because it's like, whoa, um, I'm going to have a mortgage, a 30-year mortgage, and, and I'm not, I'm, I'm, although I'm going to put renters in the house, I'm going to have a 30-year mortgage, and I'm not even, you know, 22 yet. Um, so there were some missed opportunities that I had being younger. Mm-hmm. Now that I have finished up uh, law school, I, I realized, like, whoa, I, I forgot that house back when I was 22 because then law school would be paid for. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, there's, there's the great thing about, uh, about being in the field is there's, there's always, always, always opportunity. So, 
So I don't want to I don't want to cut you off because you're. Go ahead. I'm sorry, brother. I want to know how did you get over that fear because I think a lot of people have that fear of that mortgage. They have that fear. It's like they know what's right, but knowing what's right and doing what's right are, are two different things. A lot of times there's fear. There's uh, the unknown. How did you get over that fear? That's a good question, brother. The way that I got over it was I went and found a uh, financial financial mentor, uh, not just a mentor and a financial mentor. They happened to just be the same person. Mm. And he got me introduced to his system of doing things. Now, mind you, this was a he was a successful real estate investor in Los Angeles and decided he was going to liquidate everything that he had in Los Angeles and started all over in Louisiana. When he got started in Louisiana, within a few years, he had 30-some-odd properties underneath his belt, all being rented out, all rental properties, all investment properties. The only problem was it was too much for him to be able to handle, and so he didn't have any, any partners. Well, I ended up working for him and actually doing consulting for, for his company and found out about his system. And so when he put things down on paper and actually allowed me to, 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 to see how he went about getting his properties and how he went through that process, it made it so much easier. And I felt like I had a, a guy there with me and he helped it make sense to me. I think a lot of the times the, that fear comes from it doesn't make sense mm -hmm. or everybody has been gun shy because of the, the recession, what happened during the recession when the market fell out. So a lot of people have been gun shy with that. Then also there's a lot of responsibility when you become uh, when you become a homeowner and when and especially when you become when you start investing in property and become a landlord. So for me it just made it just made business sense. It, it made a lot of business sense after I was in a place where I could appreciate it being having gone through an experience of like, whoa, if I would have bought this house, I could have sold it and law school would have been paid for. Mm -hmm. Cool. So um, I know this week you told me you just recently closed on the property. We're definitely going to discuss that one, but I didn't know that you had more properties aside from the property that you closed on, on this week. So can you tell us, or the, oh, the property absolutely. you got renters in this week, but can you tell us about your first I, deal and how that happened? My first deal, my, my, my first deal, uh, actually came to me, uh, through, through my mentor, as a matter of fact. And what I realized is the way that you do business and the way in which you acquire real estate in Louisiana is totally different than the way that you do it in California. There are a lot of things that you can do creatively with, with financing in Louisiana that you wouldn't necessarily be able to do in California. For instance, I found a seller who was willing to carry the paper on the house. I didn't necessarily have all the money. I didn't want to go through a, a, a traditional bank because I didn't have the – all my income was, was coming from side jobs that I, that I was doing. So I didn't have the stated income that the bank wanted in order for me to get conventional financing. So luckily, I found a, a fellow who was willing to carry the papers on, on one of the houses that I had, but it required that I put down a substantial down payment. Mm -hmm. Uh, the house was being sold for forty-seven five. Now, the, the great part about this house was it was a house that I had been looking at for a while. Three bedrooms, two baths, 
in a in a nice neighborhood, and it just made sense. Forty seven thousand five hundred dollars, and I put down twenty seven thousand five hundred, so which left me with just um, forty thousand dollars left to pay left on the house. The interest rate that I got ended up being uh, don't quote me on this, but I, my my mortgage is two hundred fifty dollars a month. Wow. Now. In California, if you found that, there would be a a leprechaun on the other end of that deal. And so you're not going to find those kinds of deals in California, or it would be rare. Mm -hmm. But those kinds of deals are available in Louisiana just because of the way that the market is set up. In Louisiana, the market is set up for landlords and tenants. It's very easy to acquire real estate. It's difficult to sell it. Whereas Hmm. in California... Um, you can buy the real estate, sit on it for a few years, and then sell it, uh, and, and sell it at a profit. However, it requires a, a lot more substantial, mo- a lot more money up front, and the, your mortgage for a two hundred, three hundred thousand dollar house, for three hundred thousand dollar house, is going to be around fifteen hundred dollars a month. Well, if you put renters in it at, at nineteen, well, you're making four hundred dollars profit. Well, I'm. I have renters in my house for six fifty. So that's three hundred uh, so that's three hundred and fifty dollars. I'm sorry, uh four hundred dollars profit right there. Mm-hmm. And I have less less capital invested. And I mean you have somebody who's paying off your so, asset too, which is cool. Absolutely. And you're getting absolutely. appreciation. So um I think that a lot of people what they have a hard time with is coming up with that down payment. So how were you able right. to save up the money to put down on that property? Money that I had uh, saved up, money that I had saved up and stashed away from other investments that I had made. I thank God that I had family that was able to uh, pitch in as well. So, so it, 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 was a, it was a group and a team effort that allowed this to happen. By no means did I just have the, the, the twenty grand, just the twenty-seven thousand five hundred just sitting around, but. I had a substantial amount of it, and my my family my family came in and gapped the rest. Cool, I like that. I think that that's definitely the key, man. Family is everything, in my opinion. So I have a question: um, how how were you able to negotiate the deal in those terms? Um, was that just something that the seller offered? Is that something that you proposed? Um, I mean, how did that come about? It, it was something that 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 I proposed. It, it, it was something that I proposed. I kind of figured. I kind of knew that they, the the seller was motivated, and they needed what they really needed was was cash was was cash on hand. But I was trying to figure out how much did they really need, um, how much would they let the property go for, and still allow and, and still carry the papers. And that number was was, was twenty seven five. It was a little you know more than half of what the property was, was was going for. But even with that, it still was a it still was a good deal. So the negotiation, the, the negotiation just required uh, me understanding the financial position, being able to know the financial position of of the buyer. The buyer was, was building a new house, as a matter of fact, and needed some more money to to finish the house. So, like I said, I had a, I had a motivated seller, and uh, yeah, it, it ended up working out for me. But. Uh, you can find those kinds of deals in Louisiana, especially where I'm at. You just have to be a little diligent and, and search them out. Cool. Um, so, I mean, 
you said you have some renters in there and how long did it take for you to find renters? About five months, about five months. Uh, so my properties go the, the, my properties go through section eight. Uh, and so, you know, being able to really vent your tenants out through section eight is, is critical because you don't want people that are coming in there uh, that are tearing your stuff up. Even though you'll have you're going to have normal wear and tear. Uh, and Section 8 is a little bit more riskier. However, however, it's, it's the, the for sure mailbox government money that you get. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you make it affordable for Section 8, you basically have made it affordable for everyone else. Oh. Um, for oh. me, the most important part is having low turnover, which you know, requires me to, to have my, my rent competitively priced, mm-hmm. but also uh, properly vetting properly vetting my, 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 my tenants. I like tenants who have, um, you know, who have, who, have, who have solid jobs. Usually they have children, uh, and that helps prevent, you know, that helps prevent them from moving, doing a whole bunch of moving. But, you know, that's, those are some things that you're, those are risks that you have to take that you're going to encounter regardless of if you go section eight or you don't and what you said there is you said that you priced your rent competitively and i know that in the group we kind of were talking about your deal and one of the guys who usually checks the rent comps for us he said that the area the rents in that area were around 730 but you said that you're renting it for 650 was that intentional or yep. is that just something that you kind of hopped on it's intentional it's, it's intentional 650 um 650 allows 650 is 650 to 750 is kind of a sweet spot for rent in that area. The the salaries are lower. The salaries and, and wages are lower in Louisiana than they are in California. So that's one. Mm-hmm. Two, um, at 650 700, any money that I may be losing, any money that I may be losing on rent, I recoup on tax write offs so um, it, it seems like I'm, it, it seems like I'm losing out, but in all actuality, I'm, I'm, I'm winning because one, I don't have high turnover. I don't have high turnover. Two, I get the tax write-offs, and three, um, keeping my rent keeping my rent at that at that level uh, allows me to account for like a, a 20% vacancy factor in any of my in any of my other. Uh, in any of my other properties. So if I need to raise the rent when, when the leases are up, if I need to raise the rent, I still know that I am anywhere from, uh, shoot, 30 to 40%, about 20 to 30% cheaper than what they would normally get. Mm-hmm. And I make sure that I provide them with, a, with something high quality. So to get something that I have uh, in that neighborhood, in that area, you normally would be paying anywhere from eight hundred dollars to eight hundred to about eight hundred and fifty. Wow. The fact that I'm offering it for for six fifty, you know that you can't beat that with a stick. And so, did you originally price your rent or price your property for rent at that number, or did you kind of set it at a higher number and then decrease it as time went on? No, I, I said that I, I said it at six fifty. And it still took. I said it at six fifty. Why did Why did it take so long, man? Well, what it, what happened was, is I had the guy, I I had the guy already uh, already vetted. I had him already vetted, um, 
in fact, he was supposed to move in in March. He was supposed to move in in March, but he had some some family problems that he needed to take care of, which was okay, right? That that was kind of a, a red flag for me. But the saving grace was that Section Eight had already signed the lease. Mm-hmm. So if, even if he did move in, uh, the fact that the, the, that the lease had been the, the lease has been signed between him and Section Eight and Section Eight and me uh, meant that I was for however much time that it took for him to finally move in, I was going to get paid back rent for the, for, for that time. That's cool. That's very cool. So I mean, we always get mixed reviews with Section Eight. We have some people that love it, some people that hate it. Um, I mean, what what's your views on Section Eight? It sounds like you're you're in favor of it. You just have to kind of do it the right way. What are some tips that you would have for somebody who's looking to rent to Section Eight tenants? Um, interview your interview interview the uh, interview every <laughs> everybody who's interested in your house. Interview them. Get a feel for what it is that they do and what it is that they're what it is that they're trying to do, because that'll give you an idea of their stability. Um, you know, it, it's unfortunate, but Section 8 gets kind of a, a bad rap because of it's, it's a, a, a social welfare program. However, um, social welfare programs are designed to help out people who are trying to help themselves but need a little extra help, need an extra push. So with that, it's understanding, okay, well, what, what is it that you're trying to do? What, how long will you stay in, in your, your past property and why did you leave? The, you know, the normal questions, but it, it all comes down to really um, how family-oriented they are. Family-oriented people like to stay in their property for, for, for a substantial amount of time. They don't like moving their kids around too much. So I usually, I, I, like, I, I like running to, to people, to families, whether it's, it's, it's single mothers or single fathers. And that's, that's what I have in my property right now is a single father. Are you using a property management company or are you doing it yourself? Uh, I do actually have a uh, property management company. I have an agreement with a, with a company, as a matter of fact. Um, so, yes, yes, I do. I do have a property management company. How much do they charge you? Uh, 200 200 a month. All right, we're back. Talking about property management. So you told um, me that they charge so you yeah. two hundred two hundred a month. Yes, and and, and it, it it depends. I I have a working I have a working relationship with the company, so I, I handle some of their their analytics. I handle some of their analytics and some of their um, I do I, I do some I do some work for the company as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's more of a it's the two hundred dollars is what is what's agreed upon, but depending on the amount of work that I do for them. Um, the, the, it, it, it varies. That's pretty but cool. But two hundred dollars a month is, is yeah, it is, it is, it, and it works. It works. Cool. So, um, I mean, are there any other deals that I'm missing out on that we haven't talked about that you want to share? Uh, no new deals right now. Uh, no new deals right now. Like I said, my my focus right now is on is on the bar. Yeah. But. Uh, there, there, there's a few projects that I, I, I want to, I want to work on in the next, uh, next nine months, nine to twelve months. Very cool.
Cool. So, um, what are your plans for the future? What are the goals? Um, I mean, after the bar, what are you aiming for? Uh, turnaround management. Turnaround management. So my my MBA focuses in finance, mm-hmm. and uh, my MBA is in finance, and my focus in law was uh, bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. So my goal is to to become a turnaround manager and help companies turn themselves around when they're either getting ready to go through bankruptcy or coming through bankruptcy. That's that's my goal. My my background, part of my background is in actually innovation management and taking companies take, taking companies to the next level. That's some of the work that I used to do for the U.S. Navy. So being able to, to leverage those skills and apply it now outside of the government into actually business setting. Cool. Um, all right, so the two questions I ask everybody. The first question is, what is your favorite book? Favorite book? Oh, man. Uh, you could have asked me a much easier question than that. Let's see. I have a can – I, can I name a couple? Yeah. Because all of them are, are my favorite. All right. Uh, 20 Steps to Power, Influence, and Control by H.W. Gabriel. Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card. And I'll say those two. Yeah. Those two? Those two. Cool. And the last question is, what, what does wealth mean to you? Wealth? What does wealth mean to me? Hmm. Wealth means appreciating everything extra outside of basic human needs. Hmm. That's a good answer. Outside of being, yeah, outside of being fed, clothed, and sheltered. That's what wealth is. And it's very important that, that we as individuals define what wealth means because if we do not define wealth, then somebody else will define it for us. And, oh, wait, you know what? I got something up for you. You said about my favorite book, mm-hmm. one of my favorite books. My book, Montgomery's Declassified Guide to Succeeding in Law School. So, yeah, that's my third book. That's very <laughs> cool, man. Where, where can they find that book? Uh, my website will be up pretty soon. And uh, my, my website will be up pretty soon. Uh, so I'll, I'll make sure to shoot that, that, that information to you. If possible, but I would, I would like for you to, uh, to, to, to at least give me a, a shout-out for my book, man, to help me get it out there. I would greatly appreciate Absolutely, that. Absolutely, man. Any way that I can help you succeed is definitely something I want to try to make happen. So uh, we can record a drop. We can record a commercial. We'll definitely get you out there to my audience and my following. Um, I think that, I mean, I think that that's a good idea. That's one of the ideas that I kind of wanted to do is write a book that would help people get through law school. When I was in law school, I felt like super lost. So um, that's cool. I'll definitely be getting some copies and shooting that out to someone else that go to my law school as well. So cool. It's been another episode of the Tide Capital uh, Millionaire Podcast. If you are interested in joining either of our clubs, either real estate or stocks, email us at info at We are now at 110 members and growing. The goal is to get to 1,000. I know it's possible because all things are possible. So thank you all for tuning in. This has been another wonderful episode of the Millionaire Podcast. We're signing off.